0: Okay, so a <clears throat> couple questions to think about. Does God have a will for every decision in our lives? There's a lot of people who <clears throat> uh, just a lot of mixed up ideas about God's will and about what is God's will? How do we seek God's will? What does it mean? Um but you just have to sometimes break things down into simple, you know, make them simple you know, so does God did God have a will about what color shirt you wore today does he have a will about your socks I don't think he did I don't think he did in fact I'm sure he didn't so that's important to understand, second of all does God grant supernatural revelation to guide us in making every decision? So when we have decisions to make, see, we have a tendency to believe that, um, well, what most people do is seek God's will in, in these big, critical, life-altering decisions. And that, that's good. And we would think, okay, well, God has a will about that because it's clearly important. It's clearly going to have ramifications on my life. But then how far down the line does that go? How, how, how many increments below that does God have a will about? And here's what happens. If you believe that God has a supernatural revelation to guide us in making every decision, what you end up being is frozen. You're stalled all the time. You're not a person of action because you're constantly seeking something and struggling to find something and when God wants you to do something. But if we're so afraid to do the wrong thing that we do nothing, then that can't be right. That can't be right. You see? So I think this will be a helpful conversation. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, The Bible says that way you will prove that which is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Romans 12.1 says that we present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. So, So we're conformed not to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the simple implication of this reality in Scripture is that God would not grant us a renewed mind if we were going to receive supernatural revelation about every decision in life. What would be the point of a renewed mind? We have a renewed mind so that we can make decisions with a renewed mind. So that we can think about things with a renewed mind. So that we can see things clearly with a renewed mind. Now, if God is, has, the, has a... A word for everything we should do. We don't even need a brain. All we need is ears. We wouldn't even need a brain. See if God says left we go left. God says right we go right. Well then you don't need a brain. And yet God. Grants us a renewed mind. To think so clearly. There's. Space in this. Now I hear stories. That. Cause me, you know, illustrations and stories that sometimes cause me uh, trouble. So, like the evangelist that says, you know, I flew into town and my luggage got lost, and I prayed that God would help me find my luggage, and then I open my eyes and there's my luggage. Okay. I'm with you. Now, what about the person sitting in the room that says, the skeptic that says, now let me get this straight. God's not answering my prayer about cancer, but he's finding your luggage. We what are, what are we doing with world peace and starvation and children that are being molested and? But Buddy found your luggage. You see the disconnect there. I want you to just think about it. So, if we're if we're expecting God. To point out every way for every decision we face. It's not only impractical and unrealistic, but it is a recipe, almost a guaranteed inevitable end in disappointment and false guilt. Because here's the problem. You're going to be disappointed because that's not going to work that way. And the false guilt is going to come in because you're constantly going to be condemning yourself, feeling like a failure. Because every time, you, every time you make a step and it doesn't work the way you anticipated it to go, you're going to equate that to, I missed God's will. So therefore, you are going to live in a bottomless pit of failure. Because there's so many things wrong with that illustration primarily, the main problem with it is who's determining right and wrong? You. And that right there is a totally wrong, utterly pragmatic way of looking at life. You see, if 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 every time you make a decision and it works out differently than you had hoped, your determination is that it's wrong, well now... When did you become the determiner of right and wrong? How do you know that? How do you know that, that two of your supposed wrong turns aren't necessary for God to lead you to the third and final right turn? You see what I'm saying? Oh, I just we gotta think a little bit now. Let's look at some scripture and let's listen to Jesus talk and get some context. Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit of his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor toil. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For after all of these, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have all these needs. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, there is a very sort of field-leveling passage in Scripture. You read that a few times, let that settle into your heart, and you can get some real clarity about this conversation. So, Jesus doesn't want you to worry about the future. I think that's pretty clear. Because He said it four times. He does not want us to worry about the future. That doesn't mean He doesn't want you to plan for the future. It just means He doesn't want you to worry about the future. Now, there's good news and bad news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that Jesus does not treat worry as a personality trait, like many of us try to do, but as sin. And the key to understanding is probably the most overlooked statement he makes in that whole passage when he just sort of seemingly tacks on the statement, for after these things the Gentiles seek. What he's saying is, to do this is to behave as if you don't know God. That is a very strong statement. He's not just saying, well, you know, you're just acting like... No, he's he's saying you are behaving as if you are a pagan. That's serious. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is that because worry is a sin, God promises that He'll forgive us and He'll help us to change. And what a blessing that is. And I mean, I think we would all agree that we all have different propensities toward worry. Isn't that true? We're not all the same in this regard. And let's face it. Those of you in the room that are higher on the worry scale, you see the people in the room that are lower on the worry scale as immature. Because they don't worry as much as you. And the people who don't worry very much in the room... ...see the people who worry a lot in the room as immature... ...because they don't trust as much as you. And I mean, you're both wrong. But what we need to understand is that we all have different propensities to worry... ...but then with it's very complex because within your propensity to worry... Like you, you can't just make blanket statements say, say, you know, this person worries a lot and this person, you know, doesn't worry a lot. Everyone worries about something more than other things. So then within the context of how much you worry, a lot of it seems to, to, to focus on certain aspects of your life. You know, if you just worry evenly about everything, then you probably have a severe mental condition. That's, that's not how that works. There's a few things that you worry a lot about, and there's other things you don't worry that much about. And even people who say, well, I don't worry very much, there's something that can cause them to worry. Right? So we're different, but yet we have commonalities. So at the core, we need to understand that worry is a disbelief in God's sovereignty and goodness. You know, I always say when I'm just, you know, oversimplifying things in the midst of making a statement, I say the cure to worry and anxiety is always sovereignty. The sovereignty of God will always, is, is directly opposed to worry and anxiety. So if you find yourself in a state of, worry and anxiety, then what you need to do is immerse yourself in an understanding and a dependency on the sovereignty of God, because that will definitely uh, be the most effective thing to help you. So in Lamentations 3, the Bible says, through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And whenever the Bible is talking about giving passages of Scripture like this that are encouraging to us, if you read them carefully, you will always notice that the passage is not uh, to divert us away from difficulty or struggle, but always to accompany us through difficulty and struggle. You see, and it's because hearing God's voice, seeking God's will, this whole conversation, it's a process, it's not an event. You you don't just arrive at, you know, you're not, you're not looking for God's will like a treasure, and finally you find the spot, dig the hole, and there it is, and now you found it. That's not how it works. It's a process. It's a process. See, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, you can see that is describing a process. It doesn't say just do this one thing or or follow these three steps and then this will be resolved. But it's a process of seeking the kingdom of God. That's That's not three distinct steps to take. That's a very global statement. So when you're seeking to hear the the voice of God or to find the will of God, what you're doing is understand you're not seeking a divine word. You're seeking Him. That's what we're seeking is Him. And so we we get tangled up in things like, you know, well... uh, we think that you know life hinges on these decisions about well who do we marry or where do we live or you know things of where what what is my career. But the question that God is asking is are, is it's not that God's disinterested in any of those. He's clearly interested in all of those. But he's not primarily interested in all of those. What he's primarily interested in is who are you seeking in who you marry? Who are you seeking in where you live? Who are you seeking in what career you choose? That's what, he's, that's what, he, that's what he cares about. That's what he's operating in. And so you may be... You see, God has a, an answer... You, you, He wants you to find His answer. You want the answer. You want to find His answer. So you agree on that, even though you're asking two different questions. It can still lead you to the same place. But it can also lead you to all kinds of other places too. See, we have to live our lives believing that all of our plans and strategies are subject to the immutable will of God. He is sovereign. And so whatever it is we are endeavoring to do, they are under his authority. Okay? So it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you're trying to do, whatever your plan is, whatever your strategy is, whatever it is under his authority, okay? So so now Here's the thing, whether you're seeking his input or not has no bearing on the authority that it's under. you understand? See it's under his authority whether you even care about that or not. It's still under his authority. So see, you can be in a you can be in a rebellious state and you know as a a, a terribly untheological uh, way of putting this in the past would be you could be a, you could be in a backslidden state pursuing the flesh, and that pursuit is still under the authority of God. It is. So God can allow or disallow anything, anything. And, and that's important for us to understand. So in James chapter 4, here's a p- perfect example where we see, Come now you who say, Today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. And then James says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? Is it not a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, We shall live and do this or that. Now, James is talking to believers. See, because this is true to everyone, whether you believe or not believe. But the way we know that James is talking to believers is because he says, instead, you ought to say. Because if you're an unbeliever, you wouldn't say that. Right? And so so look at what we have. We have three components of of what they're doing. They're self-assertive in their travel plans, the first thing. Today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city. They're self-confident in their time schedule. We're going to spend this amount of time there. So self-assertive, self-confident, and then look at the profit that they're going to make. They're self-centered in their their business relationship. And so it's, it's self, self, self. And that's under the authority of God. If the Lord wills. Because whatever, listen, whatever happens is subject to the will of God. So what I'm trying to get us to see is that there's multiple things happening. Your life and my life are, are subject to, they're underneath the umbrella of the will of God, right? Period. We can't do anything about that. We can't change that. That's, that's a, an, uh, an undeniable continuous truth every millisecond of our lives at the same time that that's true we're seeking to make decisions about things and we let's you know say that you know on the positive side we want God's input in this situation and circumstance right and so it's all under the umbrella of his authority but we don't know what to do because being under his authority doesn't tell us whether or not to do this or to do that. So this is where the hearing the voice of God and discerning the will of God and all of this this is where this conversation comes in is in these specific things that are still under that umbrella but now we're we have to make a decision. We are the ones that God through salvation gives a renewed mind to Now, do we we at salvation just receive a renewed mind just like you receive the Holy Spirit? Because let's think about what it said. Paul said, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing. It's a process, remember, it's not an event of your mind. So as your mind is renewed, this is over here in this... I'm trying to find out what to do in these situations. This is where the renewing of my mind is going to come into play. It doesn't change the sovereignty of God, but it has everything to do about the decisions that I make. The decisions that you make. So we should be humble in our looking toward the future because we don't control it. And at the same time, we should be hopeful in looking to the future because we know who does. So we're humble and yet we're hopeful. So when we get anxious about something, what is that? Because if you're an anxious person, you think that uh, you can self-justify anxiety as concern. It's because I care. You know, I care so much. If I, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be anxious. Well, I don't think that's the way that works. See, anxiety is living out the future before you get there. That's what Jesus was addressing on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be anxious about the future because you're not there. He said today has enough trouble, right? Does that mean that we only think of today and we never think of tomorrow? Now, he didn't say don't think about tomorrow. He said don't be anxious about tomorrow. So you if you we we think about tomorrow, we plan about tomorrow, but we don't get anxious about tomorrow. There's a difference. So God's sovereignty should be the antidote to our anxiety. Because what it, if, if in order for me to be anxious I have to devoid myself of two realities. So what we would say is that God is sovereign and God is good. In other words, if I'm If I'm looking at this situation and I'm getting overrun with anxiety, well, now, did this pass through the hand of God? Yes or no. And is God good? Yes or no. Here's a good way for you to uh, think about this. This is the way that I think about this. You can write this down. I always teach the guys in my D group every year this. So, When you're trying to figure, you know, when you feel yourself getting anxious and you're in this trying to sort out what to do, these are the two questions that you you ask yourself over and over and over. I probably rarely go a day without asking these questions in my head. The first question is I want to know can God fail? Just ask that question Can God fail? And then the second question is. Does he love me? Can God fail? And does he love me? And you see that what it just centers my my heart back where it needs to be. Because there's a lot of things that that seek to, you know, frustrate me and stress me out and. And, and, I mean, my life is, you know, built around caring about things and people that I can't control, right? And so that's a perfect recipe for anxiety and stress. Can God fail? Does He love me? So the priority of God's will. Well, now, the worst thing that can happen to a saved person is to live a, a wasted life. That's the worst thing. It's to squander everything that you had access to. And there's only one way you're going to end up at a wasted life, and it's going to be fear. Fear is, the, fear is what's going to lead you. You know, The path to a wasted life is paved with stones of fear. And then what happens is, so if we fear, we're afraid. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of what could happen. We're afraid of, you know, we're afraid to fail. We're afraid of this. We're afraid of that. So then we don't do anything. We don't. We don't. We're. We, we're. We're not going to take a what we perceive to be a risk. We're not going to. It's going to lead to a multitude of problems because there's real horror in ending up at the end of a self-centered, superficial life. You know what a self-centered life is and superficial life is? Is that I just, I mean, I just played it safe the whole way. That is a spiritual disaster. I'm going to show you. the more subtle sneaky way that this will seek to you know slowly gently put a noose around your neck and you won't even realize it in fact you will have this noose around your neck and you will actually think that you're doing good because you're disciplined you'll use the word disciplined wrongly discipline is good But you'll use it wrongly to justify this dreaded outcome. Why is it so bad spiritually to be a slave to routine? Now notice, I'm not saying it's bad to have a routine. Lord, I have lots of routines. I'm a big believer in forming good habits. They're great for your life. You want to do that. But you better be careful you don't become a slave to routine. Because when you become a slave to routine, what that does is it lulls you right into this self centered, superficial life. Because, see, what determines? Here's my question What determines what you are willing or unwilling to do? Your routine? That's a disaster. Your safety, that's a disaster because how do you know what's safe? You know, I always think about the, the you know, the guy who was afraid to go outside because it was so dangerous. So he stayed in his house all the time. And his wife came home and the house was in a bazillion pieces and there was smoke billowing out of the top of it. And she walks up and asks the Firemen and the police officers, what happened? They said a meteor struck it. And there he was, safe and sound in his living room. You see what I'm saying? It's. Because again, you're. When you say, I'm not going to do this because this isn't safe, that's not necessarily wrong, but because you may understand. Through a renewed mind, what is safe and not safe. But if you're determining that, then you are operating above your pay grade. You you don't have those credentials. You see? What you better do is, if you think it's safer to stay at home, you better have that on the authority of the one who controls the meteors. See what I'm saying? So if you're a slave to routine, what happens? Your confidence gets in the wrong thing. That's what happens. You become confident in the routine. And you need to be confident in God. If you, you trust in the routine, you're, 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 you're putting too much in that. So the key to achieving God's will for our life is, it's going to seem so simple, but it's just one word. Now, if you if you are going in a direction and you are genuinely trusting God. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of... I mean, it, everybody can say I'm trusting God, but then, you know, half the time... You're just manipulating. You're doing what you want to do and you're saying you're trusting God to try to make it sound good. Well, you know, that's going to be a fiasco. So what we're talking about is we're talking about genuine trust and genuine trust is connected to a genuine motive. So the God of the universe who judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart knows, who will not be mocked, knows what we're talking about. So look at, look at Ephesians 6. Here's a passage that oftentimes we, we, you know, we're equating with other things. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So you want to underline stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You see, the, the emphasis is on standing, right? And what does that mean? Is, is to stand to be frozen? To stand is to trust. You stand on something if you trust it to bear the weight. Standing is trusting. You, won't, you don't stand on something you don't trust. So to stand is to trust that it will sustain you, that it will hold you up, that it will... And so as we face these spiritual battles, we put on the armor of God, but all of it is predicated on trusting in the armor that you put on. If you put armor on and don't trust in the armor, then it's going to be a fiasco. Because the person who is orchestrating all the events of life Knows what we're thinking. Knows what our motive is. Knows what we're trying to do. Knows if we're trying to manipulate him or not. Yes. So, biblical faith is less technical knowledge and more personal trust. Absolutely. You see, because that's just common sense. Because the Bible will call us to have faith like a child. So clearly we're not talking about technical information, right? No. But faith, faith is, it it is a trust issue. The only technical information that is necessary for faith is what it is you're standing on. What it is you're trusting in. That's it. That's it. You don't have to know anything other than I am trusting, standing on the God of the Bible. That's biblical faith. That's the faith of a child. And not only that, Romans 5, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. So here we see that what happens is As we start to read the Bible and now our mind is being renewed, the process of renewing is coming through the passages of Scripture, right? And so through this renewing, what we're developing is this new, a renewed mind understands that, guess what? Things spiritually are contrary to what we would naturally think. Because we would naturally think that Tribulation's bad. But the Bible says in Christ, it's good. Why? Because remember, in Christ we understand that we're under this umbrella of sovereignty. So if I'm under the umbrella of sovereignty, then now my mind has to be renewed. And the other thing I just want to point out that should be painfully obvious, but... If God wanted you to think in natural terms, why would your mind need to be renewed? You could just keep thinking the way you've always thought. So obviously, clearly, what the Bible's teaching is the way we need to think in Christ is the opposite of the way we used to think apart from Christ. That's why we need renewing. So, tribulation in the life of a Christian leads to hope. And how can that be possible? Because if God is sovereign and if God is good, then whatever God allows to flow through His sovereign hand into my life will eventually lead to my good, which will then build my hope and confidence in the sovereignty of the God who allowed the thing that I thought was going to kill me. Yeah. So we can think about it this way. In a fallen world. We don't gain depth without setbacks. If things always go our way. We become shallow and superficial. You see. Now listen. There will be. There will be a time. That things will go our way. See. Last night we had a memorial for for Jason and here's the thing Nicole today everything's going Jason's way today. It's going his way today. Everything is going his way. See this whole conversation right here is irrelevant for him. Because guess what? He's not facing tribulation. Negative. That's all gone. So you will. You weren't this is this is only in the context of a fallen world. See, in the Garden of Eden, this didn't apply. In eternity, this doesn't apply. It's in between. It's for us that all this applies. So, here's the thing. So, we, we don't want to be superficial. So, when we're making decisions, because this is what... Because, see, here's the thing. You're you, you got to make a decision, right, about something, and you're seeking God's will on So maybe you're, you're telling your people in your D group or in your community group, people you're in community with, you're like, well, you know, pray with me because I really want to know God's will for this situation. All right, good. So that's what we'll do. We'll pray about that. Now, at some point, there's a, well, I mean, I shouldn't say always because there's, you know, some people that just, a year later, how's it going? Just praying for God's will, you know. But Of course, at that point, I've kicked you out of my D group a long time ago. Because I've lost my mind. I really am. But here's the thing. So at some point, you got a, there, a decision has to be made. Now, I'm seeking God's will for this situation. So there is an end to this. There is a, so when you get to the fork in the road... Who makes the decision? I mean, let's be honest. You. You make the decision. You make the decision based on what you've discerned from seeking God's will. But you make the decision. Because let me just tell you what doesn't happen. And never has happened and never will happen. You didn't get to the fork in the road and then God just... Forced you. And that, that's not how that goes. It will never be that way. He, he will lead you. He will guide you. But He will not force you. So you made the decision, right? Based on the, the information that you have received in the renewing of your mind as it pertains to this thing. So when we're making decisions... Pain avoidance strategies lead to more pain. That's what they lead to. Because here, here's, here's the thing now. Come on. Think now. You want to know God's will about this situation, right? As you move closer to this situation, or maybe from the outset, or, but at some point you become aware that one possible outcome... Is painful. Right? Yeah. That's a lot of times. So now, if we're coming to a fork in the road, and to go left is going to be painful, and to go right is not going to be painful. So now, are you going to start leaning to the right? Because you don't want the pain? Because, because in the beginning, you just wanted God's will. But now that one of them has become painful, you've, you've now, you're not 100% committed to His will. Now you want His will to be this, which is different from, I just want your will. That's not the same thing. That is not the same thing. So what do we want? Do we want God's will? Or do we want it to be less painful? Now, you can ask God for less painful. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. See, the, the reality is, here's the reality. You're moving to this decision. Pain's over here. Not painful's over here. God doesn't want you to want the pain because then you're weird. God doesn't want you to be unwilling to to take the pain and only go the easy way because then you're shallow. So He doesn't want you to be weird or shallow. He wants you to be committed and open to whatever He may do. Right? Okay? And And in that situation... What will God do? Every time God will do what's best for you. I don't know which way it'll be because I'm not God. I don't know that for me, so I certainly don't know that for you. But He will do what's best for you. But here's the thing. If you if you how are you, you know, you also have to view this thing from from an understanding of, of a holistic understanding of what's going on. If you go, if you, if, you, if you perceive that you went the wrong way, well, then the whole thing's blown up. Well, well, wait a minute. So now you're saying that God's authority and sovereignty is dependent on your cooperation. And, and, and now you can go away. That's going to, you know, God's going to go, whoa, didn't see that coming. I, my hands are tied on this one. See, then you just may be in a situation where no problem, no problem for God. He's not, he's not panicking. Of course He's not panicking because He knew what you were going to do before, before you even ever even asked the question. He already knew what you were going to do. He already knew that. And He's already got the ten things ahead of that already laid out. Because remember, in Psalm 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, formed in the, your mother's womb, and the days are laid out for you before there were any. The steps are laid out for you before there were They're already laid out because He already knows. So He's not panicking about that. But now, that does, it, does that mean that we can just do whatever we want to do? Well, of course not. Of course, that, of course it matters. So w- what we want to do is we want to seek His will. We, we, want, to have, we want our minds to be as renewed as they can be. We want, to be, we want to be committed to the process of having a renewed mind. That's what we want to be. Yeah, C.S. Lewis always talked about how God whispers in our pleasures, He speaks in our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. And here's the thing, and you know what this means? What, what he's saying here is that God is speaking in all three, but we typically don't hear until we get to pain. See? But here's the thing. He's speaking all along. So if you miss him in the whisper, it's not all hope is lost. Because guess what? He's still speaking in the conscience. But since we perfected ignoring the conscience, then he'll scream in the pain. But in other words, he's going to get heard. So it's not this all or nothing sort of understanding of this process. Not at all. Not at all. All right. So let's finish. So pursuing God's will. So God's will should be understood as a way of life. It's not this event, this emergency situation. It's how we live. Because renewing of our mind is is just another way of saying sanctification. That's the will of God is our sanctification. To be sanctified is to be conformed into the image of God. So to have our mind renewed is simply growing deeper in the, our understanding of the character and nature of God these are why I 'm constantly talking about the sovereignty of God and the character and nature of God and these because these are the things that are the most important listen after salvation the sovereignty of God is 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 to me the, just the central thing you've got to understand. Or the Bible is going to be just a big puzzle to you. And nothing's going to make sense apart from that. So what God wants, He wants me to do is something I don't want to do. Now what if that happens? What if God wants me to do something I don't want to do? <laughs> oh. See, I I won't even answer that question. I'm not going to tell you what I think when someone asks me that question because it's completely unpastoral of me to think that. But I don't answer it. I just pull a Jesus and and you know give you another question to try to get you off of where you are. See, the question is rooted in a lack of understanding of the character and nature of God. You see, if you're saying, what if God wants me to do something I don't want to do, then you have not asked, can God fail and does God love me? You see that? Can God fail, does God love me? I mean, it just solves it. it just, whoosh, or that, that question is, cannot be in my vocabulary. Because who cares? Since when is my desire to follow my flesh. So, that's what that is. See, if God wants me to do something I don't want to do, it's saying, well, that's saying, well, what if God wants me to do something my flesh doesn't want to do? Well, duh. Hebrews chapter 12. If we endure chastening, see, here's another renewed mind passage, then God deals with us as sons. See, what a loving statement that is. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more than readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? So in other words, that's a renewed mind understanding that chastening is loving. Chastening is good. So therefore, if I don't want to do, if my flesh doesn't want to do it, well then Paul would say yes, because our flesh needs to be beat into subjection, right? Yes, we don't want to follow our flesh because the reason we needed a Savior is because we were reaping what happens when we follow the flesh. So our imaginations are deficient in in an infinite way and unable to picture what God's best for us is. We have, we, that, that is just gotta be one of the truest things you could ever say. I mean, we are, we cannot imagine, cannot begin to imagine what God's best is for us in this life. The reason we only know what we know about heaven is because if God dropped a manual on heaven out of the sky and i picked it up found it and started reading it immediately my brain would explode into a billion pieces i can't i can't handle it i have no i don't have any parameters in which to hold it so what often seems like a loss becomes a path to great gain right yeah I literally was working on this today, and I was thinking, are, is Pam and Philip going to be here tonight? I mean, is this not like your your story, what seems like loss is the path to great gain like yes, this is i mean we 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 see that happening in people's lives all the time, where we think, Oh my goodness, you know everything's falling apart, but it's the path to this. Just extraordinary situation that we could never have fathomed in a million years. We couldn't have dreamed it up. And God's going, just trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. And it's the pain that's getting us where we need to be. And that doesn't mean that when we're in the pain, we're like saying, oh, I love this, I love this. No. We hate it and it hurts. We're realistic about it. For if indeed for a few days... We're chastened, it seems best to them. But He, for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. Afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's renewed understanding. So see, listen. If you're here tonight and you're saved, Christian, God's will for you... To be sanctified and to become more like Jesus. That's what He wants for you. He wants you to be more like Jesus. And so, discerning the events and circumstances of your life through the lens of the sovereignty of God and then making decisions through your renewed mind's understanding of... Because here's the thing. How how do you know... If you're being like Jesus. The only way you can know that is you have to know something about Jesus. So the more you know about Jesus, which is the way I say the character and nature of God, because what's the revealed character and nature of God? Jesus. So the more you know about Jesus, guess what? So if you want to ask yourself... Are these people, how are there these people that always know what to do? Here's why. It's not that they always know what to do. It's that they know the character and nature of Jesus. So when they walk up to the fork in the road, their knowledge of Jesus says Jesus would do this. That's all it is. That's all it is. Spend more time walking with Him and His bride. Pilgrimage. Seeking to obey His clear will as you trust His sovereign will. And go and do something. See? So here's what I'm saying. Abide in Him. Walk. Pilgrimage with His people. Abide in Him. Walk with His people. And then the the whole rest of that is about motive. In other words, you're you you're seeking to obey. My jo- my goal is not to do what I want to do, I want to obey. That's what I want to do. Amen. So if we know God's if we know God can't fail and we know God loves us. Hey. Tomorrow, you feel this dark cloud coming over you. Ask those two questions. I'm telling you, it's like my lifeline. It's my lifeline. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we're grateful for you. Thanks for letting us have this. conversation.